A remarkable, compelling and relatable story from my guest, Ben Craze, the CEO of Infinitive Group. It all starts with a young life, dyslexia and the death of his father at a young age. Starting a business with £500 and growing into one of the most diverse and positively disruptive businesses in the UK. His company deals across the globe from Australia to the Middle East and boasts clients such as Dell, IBM, the London Underground and Porterbrook. In this episode is not to be missed and this meeting has changed my perception on many, many things. So without further ado, this is the next episode of The Silent Entrepreneur by me, Aaron Curzon. And I want to put you on the spot a little bit here. So I'll give you maybe like a couple of minute time limit. If you can take us from naught to kind of present day, maybe with your personal life leading into, leading into career and business. And we'll sort of start from there. Are you up for that challenge? Yeah. Two minute challenge? Two minute challenge. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. So uh, I'm Ben Craze, uh, Chief Executive of Infinitive Group. Um, well, I'll start with where we are today and I'll, come, I'll, I'll go back and we can then come forward. Yeah. Um, so Infinitive Group are an SME. Um, we were founded back in 2014 and then started to aggressively go grow the business in 2017. We're a specialist technology and engineering business that sits at the intersection of operational know-how and information and technology and blending the two. So where, where our competition kind of comes from sits either in the operational world through uh, thoroughbred consultancies uh, offering services into the transport uh, vertical. That's primarily where we, we focus our, our time and attention, but we have recently been diversifying due to the challenges of COVID. Yeah. Um, but equally on the information and technology and data side, we, our, our other competition sits kind of like within the data science world. But where we kind of have our USP is we've blended the two disciplines together. That really gets under... The, the skin of problems and understands how to deliver solutions to customers' problems that deliver real tangible business outcomes that will give them improved performance of maybe their assets or reduce overhead costs or increase um, revenues uh, through better performance. So that's kind of where we're, where we're focused. Um, and, yeah, we're still finding our way, as, as I say, from 2017 to now, We've been really aggressively growing, and, and you know, through the early years of that, we were we were on a real, real fantastic journey. You know, with year-on-year successes of of growth in the high hundreds of percents to thousands of percents of growth. Um, again, through that USP of something that was different, something that wasn't really there. It wasn't a me too business. It yeah. was it was totally different. Um, so I suppose going back to like zero to, to, to 10, that's where we are today. And, you know, we're, we're, where we are today, we're working with uh, companies in, um, in the UK, such as London Underground, such as some of the banks that actually own a lot of the assets, the trains. We're working with uh, rail companies, rail operators, uh, maintainers, manufacturers, 
um, in the UK. We've recently started to do a lot of international work, so we're doing a lot of work in the Middle East, yeah. in um, Dubai, Saudi Arabia, doing a lot of work in uh, Europe. And in at, before COVID, we actually set out and uh, incorporated our subsidiary over in Australia. Okay. Um, so that's kind of where we are today. A lot um, going on then. Uh, and we're sitting in this beautiful new office that you yeah, just moved indeed, into a couple of months ago. In, in, indeed. So, yeah. Um, so that's where we are, are, are today. Um, things are getting really, really busy, really, really good and welcoming to, to be at that point. Yes. Yeah. It was not, not, you know, honesty as part of your podcast. The last couple of years, last eighteen months, has been pretty hairy, and it's been pretty difficult to continue as an SME that doesn't have investment from venture capitalists and uh, venture capitalists doesn't have investment from angel angel funders. Purely organically grown, we are uh, investors in our own innovation. We sit, as I say, at that intersection of operational know-how and information technology, founded under three core pillars which is management and advisory, our consultancy services, yeah. research and development, which is our own uh, development on problems that we're seeing at the coalface, yeah. um, and then engineering and technology, which is the culmination of management and advisory and our research and development delivered in a, in a turnkey package to solve problems or challenges that, that clients will come to, to us with. So that's where we are today. Where, where, where it comes from, um, I never actually uh, set out to actually make uh, or, or, or own my own business or, or, or um, fa- find a, my own way in business. Yeah. It came from uh, a very good, fast-tracked career in the corporate world yeah. where um, at the uh, my, where I started my career was um, in the petrochemical world as an apprentice, did, a, a, did an apprenticeship scheme. Um, which was was the right route for me. Yeah. Um, I'm proudly dyslexic. Yeah. Um, so so going out into A levels and going kind of thoroughbred way into degrees wasn't right for me. So I, mm-hmm. I went into the kind of the apprenticeship yeah. way. Um, as I say, that was in the chemical world. But then I was working uh, and studying with uh, someone that was working within the transport industry for a company called Aston Transport that were working within uh, London Underground. And he uh, recommended that I applied, um, which I did, and um, I, I got the position as a trainee a, a technician. You know, within um, six months, I think I was I was promoted to tech, to technician, then then technical team leader, and then went into the engineering team and started studying for my degree part time. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I, I was then put onto a fast track. Um, up into management so took my first managerial position um, at the age of 26 Um, it was really funny because uh, they had this um, uh, personal development program that if you scored really highly within your appraisal you had to be promoted within a a certain time period and at that that time young no kids no commitments nothing holding me back to the all UK. Into it, yeah you know global company with Alton transport lots of interesting opportunities um in america and and elsewhere in the world and i'm thinking brilliant i'm gonna go and travel, tra- travel yeah. the world here and 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 f- find my uh find my way uh, outside of the uk and they promoted me to uh, business excellence manager at the age of 26 in preston 
Preston. There we go. <laughs> so, so that was no offence to Preston, but no, no but it was you could it have was, had the US or it, it, Australia it, or something like that. <laughs> it, it, exactly. Um, and then from there, uh, I got headhunted by um, Eurostar. Went um, and created a whole new department with a colleague that was um, seconded from SNCF, which is the French National Railways, yeah. um, to, to find a, a, a new department called Fleet Solutions because they were under a bit of pressure from a couple of very political issues that they had uh, with trains failing and stalling in the tunnel and lots of people getting upset. So we, we uh, were charged with setting up a brand new team to look at why they got into that particular problem and how they got out of it. Um, and that was really good. So we took a you know a twenty year old um, train asset which had a reliability figure which was I can't remember exactly, but it wasn't it wasn't the best. And we took it from where it was to the best performance that that asset ever had from even from new. Um, and then at that point, I I uh, I got headhunted by um, National Express and I relocated to the Midlands, which where I still live. Yeah. Um, and from there, uh, again, I was headhunted as uh, head of engineering improvements, and that was at the age of twenty-nine. Um, so by thirty, you'd done quite yeah, a bit. So, so I was a lot like, of experience. One, one down from top, you know, um, director level of of a big, big PLC such as uh, National Express. But yeah, delivered delivered on a few um, objectives on. Improving performance, uh, saving money, saved them multi millions pounds year on year, um, and being a PLC, it has its you know attraction and, and, and curses. Is yeah, um, there's, there's challenges with regards to shareholder commitments, committing to bottom line, delivering projects. Yeah, kind of served my purpose and got made redundant. So I kind of made myself redundant. Yeah, um, and that's where really the starting point of Infinity came about. Because it was about two or three days before I was flying over to Antigua to get married to my fiance, who was pregnant with my first daughter. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to get married with with no uh, no job. No, <laughs> with, with no <laughs> job. So yeah, three weeks, uh, a week before the wedding, the wedding, and then then a week after. Had you told her at that point? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. She, she, she kind of knew, but it, and it was kind of quite daunting going, yeah, this is all of our savings now kind of paying for our future. And, yeah. and, and, and we've got, we haven't got anything um, in, the, in the pot left after yeah. this wedding. Yeah. Um, to then go, what, what are we going to do? Um, so it was, it was three weeks of kind of reflection on, well... What's next? Uh, yeah, what, yeah, what is next? And, and really what come about from that is... And, and I think this is supercharged by my dyslexia and being able to maybe look at things a little bit differently yeah. and ask the awkward questions and ask the challenging questions that then start to get people thinking in a different way. And that's always how I've had some of my early successes within my career and probably what's contributed to that growth within within my career, yeah. both corporately and into them businesses. So I kind of took that and went... Well, I'm doing stuff that's right, and I'm doing it for these big corporates. Why don't I try and do it on my own? So, yeah. you know, went back, got back to the UK and looked at it and went, got 500 quid. Um, what can we do with that? 
and and a lot of people would probably say not a lot. Yeah. But actually, what we did was, um, and and this is why I say 2014. This was 500 pounds. Let's try it. So I started, set up a, a limited company. Really, more as kind of like let's 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 just dip the toe in. Yeah. Let's let's have a look. Let's see if I can do some contracting consultancy type work. Yeah. In that and see where it goes. Build and, a bit, yeah. And, and, and that's how it started. And and then we we uh, I at that point when it was just just so was that Infinitive engin- Engineering at that point. That was yeah. Infinitive Engineering Technology, yeah. which is still a business unit yeah. of, of the group. But we kind of went through the motions, and that was that was good. And it was you know it was paying the bills and it was bringing in the revenue, and it, and the money was being you know the extra was being put away for this grand vision of you know this this company that would be a challenger would be a disruptor which is yeah you know what what we're all about is disrupting the way that the the industry really looks at um things the, the i've always looked at it very analytically from from the engineering background and not necessarily throwing lots of resource from a personal perspective but how do you do it in a different way with yeah. with with data with and how does that data and technology influence the process and the people and various other things so we started to get some uh, some good contracts and and really if we fast forward in the next part in 2016 I took on a, a contract role within London underground um, working with their predict and prevent program which then formed into their maintenance modernisation programme and they were charged obviously to, to improve the, the reliability and availability of their assets whilst reducing the cost because it's you know, it's a hugely expensive yeah. operation to keep London moving. And that's where I then uh, met a couple of the other co-founders um, within Infinity Group and we sat down and I pitched to them that, you know, let's 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 take this, we're all kind of of the same frustration level. Did you know these guys prior? To no, no, no. It's kind of. Um, how did you sort of? How did you meet? We we met at London Underground okay. on the same pro- on the same program. So we were we were working on that, and then 2017 we said, "Yeah, let's go for it. Let's 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 incorporate Infinitive Group, Infinitive as I say, engineering technology, still a business unit, still trading today, and we trade between between businesses." Um, but then 2017 we started. We then um, went in and, and, and then continued to develop what we were doing for London Underground whilst doing other projects. So then we started to go out and look at what we could do within the business and um, how we were going to carve why we're different, why choose us and what we could offer to the, to the marketplace. And that's, and that's kind of bringing us all the way back forward to today, which being that kind of... Uh, disruptor challenging the status quo on the foundations of um, technology, people, and process. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because the one um, the one element when we first met that I took from you is is when you were talking about your business, similarly to mine, but in a different industry. It's you know, there's a lot of archaic larger companies that that do similar things to what we do. I'm sure it's the same with yourselves, and it's it's having that differentiation, genuine differentiation and disrupting that status quo, trying to move the power away from the archaic large companies and corporations back to the client or the customer um, and having that as kind of the the driving force behind decision-making and, and carving a way forward with the businesses. So that, that was the one thing that I took from you when we first met a couple of years ago, which is really interesting. And that's why I saw genuine synergies, not necessarily in terms of the industry, they're completely different um you know transport and telecoms but in terms of the 
vision of the business to go in and disrupt and and offer a better service using data, process, technology. That's kind of where that synergy. So that's yeah. quite interesting to know that. And there's a few things I've I've, I've noted down. I, you know, I scribble notes anyway. But there's a few things I've wrote down already that I didn't even know, which is great. Um, I just want to draw it back to one thing, which is you mentioned about your dyslexia when you were younger. So that's one of the things I didn't know about. Maybe so I haven't listened enough in, in previous <laughs> conversations. I don't know. Um, but I think it's a really interesting point because I think something like dyslexia has got maybe a, a stigma associated to it, as with other things, whereby if you have dyslexia, then maybe you're going to struggle with certain things and you're not going to get on as well as other people are going to get on and stuff like that. So how was that going through maybe school and early parts of your career? How did that kind of factor? Because it so, sounds like you used that to a benefit. Yeah, so, so I actually was diagnosed pretty late with the dyslexia. So, and I, my birthday's in August, so I'm kind of on the cusp. Okay. So we actually moved um, from Kent to Surrey when I was in and around year four. Yeah. And and at a time of kind of like, there was half a term left before the summer holidays. So, and it was the new school um, in Shepparton, uh, St. Nick's, uh, St. Nicholas is the school, um, who diagnosed me as dyslexic. Yeah. And kind of positioned an opportunity to my parents, which was, look, he, he doesn't know anyone in the school we think because he's diagnosed late, we'd have much we would have liked to have caught this a lot lot earlier. Get him to redo the year. Okay. So I read So I, in in essence, I, I did an extra year at school. Yeah. Which was the best thing for me. Yeah. Because it was a real intense year four, intense kind of right. Okay, let's get him up to. to so how did that work? You just doubled up on. Basically, work basically, I I I, you know, did a half a term or a couple of six weeks or so in school in one class yeah went back and then went into a, a brand new year which was a year four at the start yeah okay and then went through school as 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 normal so yeah five six etc etc um and you know i have to be honest it, it it i've always struggled um but i retain information in a different way and i look at things differently from a schooling perspective you know there, there's um to the point where my dad, who unfortunately passed away when I was very young, at the age of 14, 15, yeah. um, he was really, really key to, again, accelerating some of, he'd spend a lot of time, mum and dad uh, eventually divorced and spent a lot of time focusing, a lot of time and attention on me. Um, but then when he he did pass away, when I was, I think it was year year 10, and I was starting to go through GCSEs, that, so that kind of, that comfort... Yeah, comfort blank is gone, of, isn't it? ...of gone, of, of supporting him, uh, from him. So I was attending, you know, extra uh, study lessons and various other things, and to this day, I still don't know whether this was done deliberately by a teacher that will remain nameless, but I was walking down the corridor, and that teacher said to me, I don't know why you're here, Ben, because you're going to fail your GCSEs. And that... First time when he's 14, 15, it's a, that's quite... That, that was either done deliberately, as I say, because that actually drove me. Yeah, it's a T-junction comment, isn't yeah. it? I mean, my daughter's 16 uh, in five days now, prepping for all that stuff. And it's, mm. if, if, I, if, I, if a teacher came out with that with her, where she's on the face of it quite confident, but you know maybe not as confident behind the scenes as most people are, that would be a real changing comment, which yeah. is you can either go under or you can go forward. Yeah. So I, I took that and I was like, do you know what? Uh, I, I'll, I'll show you. Stick it to you. <laughs> yeah. And and 
you know, I didn't do amazing yeah. at, at school. I, I passed with, with pretty much C's yeah. across the board. Enough to get me into my apprenticeship. Yeah. Enough to get me into that next level of uh, um, higher education in, in college through uh, BTEC. Yeah. So at that point, rather than A level, so I went into BTEC, which was, and then I excelled at that and I passed with distinction. Yeah. And it, it was more hands on. It was the, at that type of learning. More befitted to how you want to learn and yeah. retain information. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Um, and then you know, at, from from a comment, you're going to fail your GCSEs to then going and, and doing my degree in electrical electronic engineering and passing with honours at a, 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 a 2-1 was, was hugely, you know, rewarding to me. Does personally. that teacher know that, just out of interest? Uh, no, I haven't kept in contact. But it, as I say, to this day, I don't know whether it was done deliberately because they knew that if they poked... You, they uh, might, like get, a, might get a reaction. They might it? get a reaction in the yeah. way that they did. But like you say, it's that teacher action potential quote. So, so that's... Kind of, you know, I, I still have dyslexia today. I, the way I'm, which I, I do it. No one generally realises that I do have dyslexia. Um, yeah. I spend a lot of time with the way that I write things. I, I, uh, the way on which I manage it is, is that if I've read something, I'll then actually get it to dictate it back to me, and then okay. you can use those little things just to tweak and tone what what it is you are or aren't writing. You know, we're we're writing big. You know, big tender documents, big reports. You know, hundreds of pages long, and you know, from a from a dyslexic perspective, that's that's um, that can be challenging. But whilst it's challenging, actually, the benefits of having it is that I see uh, common sense isn't so common. Yeah. But I have common sense. I have logic. I can look at things quite systematic. And a lot of the people in Infinity Group are neurodiverse. There's yeah. people that are. On the spectrum of autism, there's people that are other dyslexia. We 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 use all of those, you know, what are deemed as disabilities as their superpowers yeah. to supercharge us to do things differently, think of things differently. We're yeah. not, you know, we're not that cookie cutter yeah. person. That I think you know, if you're going to live and die by that strategy of being different and disrupting, then you need to play to your strengths, and your strength is operating and analysing and doing things in a different way to other companies, which is why you're finding a lot of joy against people that maybe are, like you said, you know, they've got tens and tens of teams of people that are all the same same person, who, yeah. you know, at the end of the day. So just on those two things then, so you mentioned about the dyslexia, your teacher, you also mentioned about obviously your, your dad sadly passing away when, when you were going through that period as well. Um, do you use any of those things now as a, as a way to sort of drive you forward? Are the things that, that happened during that tough kind of end of school going into that apprenticeship years that will arguably be really, really challenging given what you had to deal with at that age anyway, on top of the usual stuff that you still think about to this day that maybe had any correlation with the early days of you starting Infinitive Group? Yeah, I, I think so because certainly a, a, a key event in my life, obviously, uh, is the passing of my father to this day you know it's still quite raw yeah and that's you know uh, 20 plus years on yeah um, so from that point I was kind of my mum and dad were divorced at that point in time my mum didn't have really that much money I didn't so so if I wanted anything and I wanted to compete with friends that you know would be getting 
at, at that time it was the PlayStation 1 that was out and yeah. all the friends my brother's still got that by the way <laughs> he won't get any other PlayStation it's PlayStation 1 or nothing and he, yeah. I think it's Command and Conqueror he plays to death on PlayStation 1 for hours and hours yeah, on end still it takes about half an hour to load the game <laughs> <laughs> and it was a brilliant game and I had it but it, um, the reason why I say that is that my mum couldn't afford to buy me that so yeah. the only person that could do that would, would have been me so yeah. you know, I lied uh, to get my first paper round, I think you had to be 13 and I was 12. Yeah. So I lied, yeah, I'm 13. So so I, so I could start earning money. Yeah. And, you know, I think it was 10, 12 pounds a week being paid to deliver papers, getting up at five o'clock Super in the morning. Club, yeah. uh, and then doing that, getting the bus into school um, was was tough. So, so you, that, that kind of drove the entrepreneurial side in me, which was then, okay, how do I get more money? Okay, Christmas is coming. I know what I'm you need do. to try and figure it out. I'm yeah. gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a proportion of the my week's wages, and I'm gonna buy some Christmas cards. I'm gonna write a Christmas card to number twenty from your paper boy Ben. Yeah. Put them all in the papers on this one day. The next day, the tips that I got was enough to pay for the PlayStation One, um, which I thought was amazing. So at yeah. that point, I was like, wow, that's you a know, light, that's a bit of a light bulb moment at that age, isn't it? Yeah. And then you know, I told told a few other people and they're like oh yeah I'm going to do that and it, and it you know it, it, it spread out you know um, which is really good and then still hungry to you know get get money and, and, and you know continue from that kind of early win if you like yeah at, you know 12 13 years old I then did some uh, I used to like to fish um, and I, I asked if there was any jobs in the fishing shop and they said oh yeah well there isn't but you, we need these you know these rigs to be tied you can do those and I you know from the dyslexia kind of the analytical side I kind yeah. of timed myself on how long it would take me to tie one of these rigs yeah and I worked out that I could I could earn 20 pounds an hour through tying these rigs because they'd pay me 50p a rig yeah and so I'd, I'd do 20 pounds an hour in addition to my pay for round and put it to the point where they went Ben you're making too many now we're going to have to kind of stop you because we can't sell as many as you're making because I was kind of too efficient it, <laughs> too efficient putting it as a drumbeat and getting this extra money so I think the loss of my father becoming the man of the house yeah coming from you know having to provide for myself is definitely something that's a massive step up moment isn't it put and, and continued with the with the business and how we've, we've we structured ourselves in in the entrepreneurial doing things differently doing things to just be a little bit entrepreneurial from from an early I think when you look at those two things in particular the paper round situation with the tips and the fishing shop what you're starting to learn I mean how old are you there 12 13 with the paper round fishing shop what's that 14 yeah right. yeah 14 at that early age when you're looking at it now and you're looking back from experience of running the business the way you analysed your information and process your information in the fishing shop is a bit like working to KPIs for somebody today. How many can I do? What am I capable of doing? What's the deliverables yeah, exactly. off, off the end of my effort? Um, and stuff that you're doing there with the, with, the, with the paper rounds is stuff that owners in this day and age, good owners probably don't do, which is personal touches for staff, for customers, kind of building that culture of looking after people that seems like you had, even if subconsciously, for whatever reason, had under the under the, in the locker already yeah, yeah that you could use moving forward into the future and I bet there's certain things that you sort of look at there that you probably take into your day to day of running yeah, the business yeah, now definitely interesting so just start on those things then so 
find out a bit more about you specifically. So if somebody was, to, we found out a bit about your past, we found out a bit about the business and how you've kind of started from 500 quid and, 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 and built it up into the organisation it is today and what it's going to be in the future. What do you think friends would say about you as an individual? What would be sort of three words that you think that friends would say to describe you as a person? Oh, interesting question. Wow. Okay. Uh, so I think I think people will all probably recognise them. Handsome's obviously one. Yeah. 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 So, so, yeah that, was, that was the first 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 one that came in. <laughs> no. Um, direct. Direct. Know what I want. I I like to be I like to be sociable. So I am quite you know bubbly. I like to be you know part of the the fun of a you know going out and being sociable in that mm-hmm. regard yeah so yeah direct fun uh silly at times you know i like to i like to not take myself necessarily too seriously outside of work yeah um and i think my daughters will also say that because i'm often acting the fool at home so if that's if that's three things that your friends would say about you what do you think your family would say about you to throw a slightly different curveball in on that i think probably so i think the dynamic between um, people that you work with, whether it be peers or colleagues, family and friends, is quite interesting when mm. you start digging into it. And, and I've dug into that over the last sort of few months in starting and doing this podcast. Uh, it's been quite interesting to hear feedback from people that used to know me, that know me now, people mm. that, you know, friends, family, people that I used to work with, people that I work with now. And it's all completely different. And it's a, and it's quite an eye opener. I mean, what, what do you think your family would say? Three Three words to describe you. From a family perspective, three words from a family perspective. I think I think one criticism that family will have of me is I I can come across quite cold okay. and quite not not very emotional. Yeah, um, and I think that that's probably driven from you know experiences that have been part of you know the strengths of you know losing yeah, family. Yeah. So I I can box things. I can be quite you know cold and. Uh, uh, um, whilst being fun and everything like that sometimes yeah, I, yeah just the surface level emotion you won't let it through, be, so, yeah. yeah yeah and it'll be privately dealt with which probably on reflection listening to some of your podcasts and having that kind of that openness um maybe it's, maybe it's not always the best way but um yeah i'll say that they're probably you know sometimes would say, would, would say that maybe i'm uh I'm, uh, I'm I'm cold and and not not very emotional in that regard. What other things that would they say? I think they would say I'm probably a workaholic as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's one one thing that I'm definitely bad for is managing that balance. And I know you've spoken about it on some of your podcasts, and it's been great listening to them. You know, it's that is that balance. Uh, that work-life balance and I totally agree with some of the comments in which you made it's, it's not work-life balance it's balance and often you know with as you all know with, with setting up a business and you know it doesn't stop at five and it doesn't start at nine it, you know particularly now we're, we're, we're working globally and I'm working often um, over about three or four different time zones that can impact on my Something has to give the investment of time into into my children. Yeah. Um, but I'm also a glutton for punishment. You know, so recently I've just been voted in as as a parent governor at my daughter's school. Okay. Um, which is great, and I'm looking forward to getting under under that and and, and 
doing investing back into into school and education and you know everything that I'm really really uh, something going to have to give for you to do that yeah probably because you can't just find time <laughs> can you it's 25 yeah, hours in a day and all that exactly, but. exactly no there is definitely going to be it's, it's, it's that balance and so I think the three words that sums us up from the family side is probably could be a bit more uh, emotional so less not don't, don't be so cold try and balance your time a bit more uh, so cold time and um, fun okay so in terms of that balance then so, sorry, we'll go back to the first point. In terms of the coldness, just to dig into that a bit in a bit of detail. So I think I know what you mean here. Because I have experiences where I love being at home. You know, in the last couple of years with my life changing and, and, and finding, you know, real happiness for me in my life. I like being at home. I like being with my partner. I like being with my kids and, and all that comes with that. But sometimes I'm there, but I'm not there. Sometimes I'm in the room, yeah. but I'm not in the room. Yeah. My head is somewhere else, and I'm listening to conversations. I'm nodding, but it's going in one ear and out the other. And that's not because I'm a horrible person. I don't want to listen, and I don't care. That's just because my head, it's just not, you know, you're processing and thinking about something that's happened an hour ago. I mean, even, we won't go into the details of it, but, you know, even some of the things we were speaking about before before we started to record today, you know, that, that's the sort of curveballs that get thrown. And, and it's... Where's your head during that period of time? You know, where's that worry? Where's that? You know, what's going to happen with that project? What's going to happen with that person and stuff like that? So, I think from that cold perspective, for me, I look at that and think I, I think I have times where I'm not emo, where I'm not emotionally in the room, mm-hmm. and that can sometimes be taken as not. I wouldn't say rudeness, but I would say just me not maybe listening. It's probably the big one. The big feedback from my family from for me would be the ability to listen. Yeah. I listen, but I'm not really there sometimes. Mm-hmm. Some I, I try and I try. I'm trying to work on that, but it's hard. Yeah, no, I t- I'm totally with you, and and I think you're dead right. Yes, if I'm sat down and I'm actually listening, I will remember. Yeah, but there's times where my wife Maria will throttle me because she said, "I told you that." No, you haven't. You haven't told me that. Yes, I have. I've sat down. Do you remember when you we sound were like here? you're sitting in my kitchen <laughs> about last week? I've told you this already. I was like, "Have you?" Yeah, I've told you this. And she's quite reliable. It's like, yeah, yeah, I've told you that. I was like, this is the fourth time I've told you the date that I'm doing this. Yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. just, and I've listened, but I've just probably not been there. Yeah, no, I, I, I can relate to that. So I think, yeah, from 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 a coldness or, or just, yeah, just busyness, time, I think it's all associated. It's... Do you think that works the same in here? So if we were to then just talk about your relationships with with, with with staff and, and, and people within the business, do you think they would describe you as the fun, silly, direct guy that your friends know or somebody that's maybe a bit more of a workaholic and maybe not emotionally connected all the time? I would say it's probably a blend. Yeah. A blend of the two, actually. Um, because I do like to have, as much as we work really hard and you know, every, everyone is, is doing an amazing job, I'm not a I, I'm not a micromanager, so I won't micromanage people. I I will have a joke. I don't take myself too seriously. Yeah. Um, you know, again, reflecting on other things that you've said in other podcasts, I do put myself at at, at that level. I you know I'm happy for for the business to hold me to account, which they often do, um, yeah. and and I'm, I'm I'm happy for that. But equally, 
Um, for example, you know, we'll 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 throw an office opening party and we'll have a few drinks and we'll have a laugh and a joke. Or, yeah. or you know, uh, out, coming out of COVID when we literally just opened the office, the first thing that we did in here before the office opening was we organised a team poker game just to try and get people's mental health back yeah. to a point of socialising safely, obviously, with, yeah. with all the necessary measures in place. But just to have a bit of fun and, and, and a laugh and a joke. It breaks the barrier down a bit, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Who won? Uh, Ian. He beat me. Real money or fake money? Real. <laughs> Real money. <laughs> well, tournament sort of. So it wasn't, yeah. it was, uh, I think everyone paid in 20 quid or something. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, uh, it was winner takes all and, and I came second. So the first loser. <laughs> That's the worst place to be, isn't it? You'd rather just go out early. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Indeed. But yeah, no, I like to have fun. So I, I, as I say, I think they would probably, It'll be interesting to, to maybe ask ask some of the guys, but I think they would say it's a blend, a blend of the two. I've got a question for you. It's just cropped up. Um, I've not even wrote it down. It's just come into my head based on something my parents, well, my mum said to me two weeks ago. You mentioned about your, um, and it's come from a comment you made about your family looking at you as maybe a workaholic and having to work different time zones and different things depending on what projects are going on and that kind of twenty four seven non switch off worry responsibility of the fact that you've got you're running the business you're providing a service you've got staff that are working for the business and you have to be on call there doing all those things 24 7 that never switches off my mum asked me a question a couple of weeks ago she saw I was absolutely it's not often that I'll get to a point where I'm visibly really struggling Mm -hmm. I think being a guy you just crack on with it and whatever and you just get on with it but she could see, she, she came to drop, she, did, she had to pick um, Freddie up from school, she dropped Freddie to me, and she walked in, and you know, she's my mum, she's seen my expressions for a long time, and she immediately thought, Something, something's up here, and she started asking me about it, I ended up just putting my laptop down, I shut the laptop, I turned the phone on airplane mode, and I just spoke to her five minutes, just briefly, about what it is I was struggling with at the time, which is a mixture of a lot of different stuff, that maybe cropped up on the day, and all as an owner, it's all very important. It's impossible to prioritise. There's 10 things going on. It's like you could make, you know, whatever you prioritise, it's wrong. You know, they're all as equally as important as each other. It's either a customer or an outage or a staffing people problem or whatever. So she asked me a question. She said, do you regret setting Guru up? Because I've never seen you so stressed. I don't like that. Do you ever regret it? So my sort of question to you is, Every owner feels the pinch sometimes and, and struggles sometimes. Even if they don't talk about it, everybody does. Um, and I'd be surprised if people didn't. If they didn't, they probably don't care enough. So whatever the stress and the strain is, have you ever had a point where you've thought about the business and thought, why? Why did I even? Why have I done this? And this is probably an answer to go for people that have reached out this week that are, you know, we've had three or four people reach out this week just to paint the picture of people that are looking to start a business. Mm-hmm. And that have said, okay, when you get talking to different people and, you know, what's your opinion on whether I should start or not? And I've got into some communication about, honest communication about how difficult I found certain things, but also the fantastic plus side of things that happen Mm -hmm. in in terms of doing something and having that responsibility of doing it yourself. So have you ever been in a position where you've regretted making the decision? It's a really, really interesting question. Um... I mean, like you say, uh, it's not regretted. There's there's definitely been times where you where I've gone, how have I got myself into this? Regret is a is is a word that I 
I don't think I don't think I'll ever have a regret. I have I own the decisions in which I make, and yeah. I think you have to. And you can't look back with regret. You can just learn from it. Yeah. Um, so, have I ever regretted setting up Infinity Group? Absolutely not. And, and and the reason why I say that is the satisfaction that I take from seeing that you know we're now engaging with huge companies and we're driving improvements um, into their businesses. We're we're doing, you know, engineering excellence, um, and and from my passion of engineering, it's all it's a it's a it's a it's a, it's a joy. Nice blend, yeah. I, I suppose what I would say is that from a regret perspective, is that I regret that I don't, I can't stop time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I can't I can't do everything, and you know, like yourself it's difficult for me to say no to people. Yeah. I will always say yes and, and work a way around it. And I think um, often the the, the, the 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 people that are, are impacted by that decision, and I say, look back and regret, is is my family then suffer with, with not seeing me as much. Yeah. Or when they are seeing me, I'm not emotionally in the room or, or I think or it's whatever. difficult, isn't it? So when you, when, you, when you think, you know, you, you immediately think, as a human, I think, you, you program this from an early age, that saying yes is actually, the, is actually the right thing to say because you're helping people. Mm-hmm. But there's always a breaking point where, number one, I think it's quite powerful to say no sometimes. And I think it means that you're engaging that individual to think, which is going to engage on them to figure it out and create a solution think and develop themselves I think if you constantly say yes to, to doing things for people consistently in a business and in personal as well I think it drives a bit of a, a lazy mentality with certain people but also like you said there you've only got a certain amount of time something's got to give you can't say yes to absolutely everything and something not give and most of the time and, and, and I've had this feeling for, for years is and it's a feeling of guilt of you know why should we why, why am I choosing to say yes to all this stuff when yes, it's important, but is it as important as spending time with my family? Mm-hmm. When inadvertently, that's what I'm doing it for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I'm not. But it, it, it just doesn't make any sense. And, and the decision to say yes, it's putting more on your shoulders, more stress, more pressure, and you're not the individual. You're not the same individual with all of that than you are when you're a bit more carefree, which is probably why your friends describe you completely differently to people in here or your family. Is because in that friendship environment, you're probably unpressured. You're not talking about work. Yeah. Talking about personal, just general enjoying being in and around people you like, which is probably your true self in a way. And, and everything else is, is, isn't your true self. It's your true self plus pressure, stress, whatever shit is thrown at you as a business owner and a professional. And you mix all that together and it's hard. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think um, from that perspective, from my experience, regret, I, I believe, is, is similar to you. What about changes? Would you have done things differently? in your journey to get here. Not necessarily regret, but so, for someone starting a business, if you had to say, if, if somebody comes to you like they have to me this week, and I've struggled to answer it, to be honest. I've answered it with yes, more, more often than no. But if someone comes to you personally and said, I'm looking at starting a business, this is what I want to do, regardless of what it is, what would you be saying to them? So, would I do things differently now knowing what I know? Mm. Um... Yes, I would do things differently, but I wouldn't know that 
that was what was needed because it would have been it was my first experience and I think yeah. I'm a very strong believer of you've you've got to you've got to make the mistakes yeah. to learn yeah so have we done everything perfectly no have we gone into things blind blindly and um, you know not really fully understood exactly everything that was going on yes um, will people make those mistakes if they start out on their business ventures tomorrow yes but don't be discouraged by that actually embrace it embrace the failure and learn from it um, I think what I would what I would suggest is you know talking to the likes of yourself and reaching out to you you know it's good you, you, you know you can't not take value from third person's experience and knowledge of their what you know the, the troubles and the, the, the journeys in which they've been through but their journey will be different yeah it won't be a like for like if you, so you can read as many different business books and various other things and you can take a piece from one and a piece from another and a piece from another you won't be able to there isn't a it's not a blueprint for you is there it, yeah exactly and what might work for you might and what might work for me might not for others but it's just what I would say is whatever you're getting involved with in business be passionate about it if you're passionate about it then you'll make it work and don't be scared of failure um, so would I do things differently possibly but I don't think I'd have known that at the time you wouldn't know at the time well you'd be yeah uber 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 even more successful if you did if you had that superpower that'd be a pretty good superpower to have one of the things that's come from that that's interesting as well it's just one word that you said was um when you were talking about you delivering your solutions into a client you didn't you didn't deliver that as um i've delivered a solution to uh into a client and it's giving them improvements in their operational capacity and yeah 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 you you mentioned one word which was that gave you satisfaction and joy joy for me is you know as with things like passion it's that's what's that in my opinion that's what I've taken from that piece from you is that's that's what underpins why and what you're looking to do with the business in a, in a really simplified high level yeah way because the joy that I have seeing certain people in my business be successful in their own right makes me want to do that even more makes me want to make decisions yeah, it also makes me want to say yes a lot more sometimes which is, which is a negative but it, that, that really for me it's you know for my business we've got passion to change the way our businesses work in this industry and we want to be the pilot and, uh, and the forefront of that there's a lot of people that do what we do there's 600 companies in the UK that do similar things to what we do but they're not us they don't deliver what we deliver yes some of the products that might be similar but when you actually mix in our journey what's got us to this point and again speaking to you about whether you do things differently I wouldn't do anything differently even up to the fact that I made a stupid decision two weeks ago, which cost the business a significant amount of money, and it put us under pressure. But a decision was made, and we sat down, we went through why, we made some changes, it won't happen again, and that decision lied specifically with a mistake and a judgment call that I made. And I've learned something from that. Um, not to say it won't happen again, but I've learned something from it, and that's part of the tapestry of yeah. my journey as an owner. But, but as, 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 a, as I say, you know, you... You've got to own the decisions mm. which you make. Don't 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 flip flop. Yeah. You know, don't don't make a decision, then go back on it, yeah. and then go forward and do make another. If you do that, 
then you're not going to get anywhere. You, you are a going to cause yourself to run around in circles. B, you're going to frustrate the hell out of your your staff, your customers, um, and C, most importantly, you won't learn from it. Yeah. So you can make a decision because at that point in time, with the information that was available at that point in time, you made a decision. Now, you might not have been in possession of all of the information or it might have been a gut feel and that gut feeling was wrong. Mm. As long as you can reflect on that and then understand why it went wrong, yeah. then you can move forward and then that will inform the next decision and that will yeah. inform the next decision and the next decision. So in terms of some of the people that are, that are listening to the podcast that want to start their business so if you had to just sort of underpinning all of that all of that sort of last 10 minute section that we spoke about there what would be the top two nuggets of information that you would say to somebody starting a business someone that wants to start tomorrow doing car cleaning a building company a technology company whatever it is what's the two most important things for you what's your nuggets of wisdom that you would give to them okay so as i say firstly You've got to love what you've got to do. Don't just get into something because you think that you can make a quick buck. Because when 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 it gets hard, you'll want to give up. Yeah. The second one is, you know, as I said, we we as a business have been completely and utterly organically grown. Do something that will start to bring in revenues early, that will enable you to invest in the business for the bigger. So don't necessarily try and start big bang. Maybe just small incremental steps forward with revenue that's early, that that you can realise early within the business. Yeah. Because you know the, the classic saying is you know cash is king, and yeah. and it and it really is. And and if we hadn't have set the business up with the management advisory side, selling our 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 knowledge and, and the consultancy side of the business, we wouldn't have been able to invest in our own innovation, developing software and hardware products that are going to start solving. So that's really, and that's, in, that's underpinned. Yeah. You being able to do that yourself has and, been underpinned by that stability, I suppose. Of, yeah. yeah. And, and that has enabled us to get through COVID. You know, mm-hmm. when revenues are falling left, right and centre and I'm looking at you know the the, the the forecast going. Oh my God! I've got a I've got an overhead that's that's built to deliver this revenue number, and that revenue number is now half. How am I going to get through that? And and it and it was. maybe the spreadsheet's wrong. <laughs> maybe <laughs> I've got a different a different sum. I wish it was, but you know we leveraged the the cash to continue. You know we we. We, we take advantage of a lot of the um, things that are available to us. So we, we, we leverage R&D tax credits, which, yeah. you know, as, a, as its own kind of stream supports the business. And yeah. the cash flow and R&D tax credits and grants and various other things is, is research what you can get, make sure that cash is coming in. Um, I mean, obviously, there's, that's not the only way of doing it. You could go out and if you've got this, you know, billion pound idea and... Um, you, and you can get and you can convince a, uh, a VC to part with some some seed funding then that's a great way of doing it um, different way different journey to, to, to ours but there's lots of money out there you know interest rates there's, there's haven't been haven't been great and yeah. there's lots of private money and um, I think there's peaks and troughs in both both kind of ways and different ways of doing it but I certainly think doing something organically for a business that holds 
knowledge, learning, development over time with your people and the business as well in terms of that evolution at, at, at a core, I think it's you, you can't buy that. Mm. And that happens over time. Like yeah. you said, with decisions that are good decisions, bad decisions, things that work, things that don't work and stuff like well, that. I think also what that does is when you're passionate and you want to do something and you want to challenge the status quo, if you've done it organically and it's all on on your own investments, yeah. you can make the call on whether or not you're going to compromise on quality. Yeah. You own that decision. Exactly. Basically. Whereas if you've got investors, shareholders that, that may want to pull you in a different direction because they want to return, that that compromise um, is now there. And, and you've got to look at how you're going to keep your investors and shareholders happy whilst mm. trying to deliver, deliver your a business yeah. a business that's aligned to your vision so that so and we've been fortunate enough to be able to do that from an organic perspective that's a massive yeah I was going to say it's a massive massive plus so in terms of you what does success look like for you if you had to look back you know you're 50 years ahead and you look back and think okay I'm really really happy with that what 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 will you be happy with what is that success look like for you over the next few years not necessarily for the business mm, so okay well again probably pulling on the workaholic angle success in in, 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 a, in, a, in a business context will be looking back and seeing the industry significantly different in the future to where it is today that has been influenced through either us directly or our messaging because we're not the only ones that are now starting to touch upon yeah. our messaging you know we as I say we work primarily within the transport uh, industry yeah. and that's going through the, the, the biggest change that you know I've seen in a decade with Great British Rail now taking over and you know, that's all change and you know all of the changes that have been positioned is all about data yeah so if we can be a catalyst and if we can be an influencer and a shaper within that that is a success for me from a business perspective success for me from a personal perspective is i want to send you know education you know through my dyslexia and everything like that education is a massive thing for me i want to send my both my girls to private education that is a massive goal for me if I can do that, um, that's a success. Okay. So because um, I'm investing in their education, and no one can ever take that away from them. Um, so that's that's a big success for me. And and just I suppose. Why do you think you speak so passionately about that particular? Obviously, they're your kids, and you, you want them to do well. But do you think that's because of the lack of options and understanding going through your education? Possibly, but also I think I think uh, you've got a similar a similar attitude. So you wanting to look back on your business and think we were we were the kind of seed that grew the flower of the the you know the changes in this industry do you think you you especially with you joining back joining back to um their school in terms of being an advisory member of the board or whatever do you think that that's something where you're trying to influence change there as well yeah well i I suppose yes because i see that actually as you know a country you know brexit's now happened um, you know we're, we're we're kind of on our own, and you know all of our good talent as is is essentially not not here. Um, and I think schooling um, 
is getting the right skills out of school is 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 required, and and getting in as early as you can to get those is um, is, is is key, and and hence why you know as I say, the success for me would be putting my girls through private because I will be buying the best of the best that I can, yeah, pay for, giving them the best chance. The, yeah, and, and and that's what do you think about just as a short little point about school. Um, because for me personally, I was never a great A student other than PE. And you mentioned about your teacher. I still speak to my old PE teacher sometimes. Um, he gave me the best report ever. The best PE student I've ever taught. And that was it. That was literally it. So I used to help him out a lot. Um, but in terms of my sort of grades were, were C's and D's. And I couldn't be a PE teacher like I dreamed because I got two D's. And it wasn't good enough. So um, in terms of the education, do you think that... Um, from an educational perspective, you mentioned about you wanting to try and give your your kids the best of the best. Do you think that, that schooling is adequately put together to prepare kids in this day and age for exactly what's out there? Because, I, I mean, my, my, my view on that is no. Mm, There's a lot of stuff that they teach that's maybe not too relevant. It's a really interesting one, and it's one of, one of the reasons what drove me to, to actually put my hat in the ring for parent governor which yeah. you know I had to go out to a vote and there was, there was okay. other people involved in that that's good because um, people like you <laughs> on the playground <laughs> I get the opposite um, so I think again Covid and what's happened you know to this ge- generation's children of all ages has been you know unbelievable and, and you know even when we, we came together with Guru Technology and together for, for my daughter's school and it, yeah. it was outside of um, uh, outside of the area in which you were you know fundraising for that was a real eye opener to me which was kind of this uh, tech poverty mm. that was just I didn't I didn't, I, I didn't I didn't realize and you know that was really kind of quite um, sobering to, to, to think that wow someone can't learn because there's five children in the household and they've got one laptop and the, the bandwidth and internet connection isn't suitable enough and they can't do everything. That was just mind-blowing. So I think it's all connected and I think it's a really complex mm. balance. And I, I'm, you know, come and ask me the question again in a few in a few months' time once I've started to Academia get versus experience and knowledge and learning. You know, it's a tough balance, I think. But it is. And I, and I think, personally, again, part of my success I would put down to is that I did it the hard way with the apprenticeship side. Yeah. I didn't go, you know, from school into A levels into university and then into a job and think that I know everything. Yeah. And be arrogant to enough to, to think that. I I started on the tools, I've worked at every level and um, that's given me that overview and being able to be be able to put my myself in everyone's shoes yeah. along the way and then I can empathise with lots and lots of people. But it all comes back to from the, the original question around the schooling. I think I can't comment at the moment as do I think it's right or wrong or indifferent it's because I actually don't understand the full picture what they're, mm. they're dealing with and hence why, I'm, I'm, as I said, I've gone into the parent governor position to get a bit of an understanding on that and then use my skills and my experiences from uh, corporate life and then... Um, setting up Infinity Group to try and aid and advise in, in that capacity. But 
one thing I definitely am sure of is that we are starting to educate our children in certain practical aspects too late. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, I, there's some really good initiatives out there at the moment. Um, one coming from um, the Round Four Midlands, which we're a member of as Infinity Group. They're, you know, they're, they're pushing for this uh, initiative called uh, Prime Engineer where they want to get into primary schools and start talking about engineering. Okay. Because if we're leaving it to when they're in you know, year 10 and starting to think about work experience, it might be too late. They might be wanting to go and be the, you know, the Instagram influencer or the football player or whatever. There's nothing wrong with that as such, but it's, but, it's but, giving them a broader... Exactly, exactly. So, so I think, for sure, I think we need to get into our children in, into a practical skills capacity mm. such as you know like engineering uh, stem as science technology uh, engineering and maths i think is hugely important and giving that real world um viewpoint on that um, early is is a is a good thing a good blend all right so what's next for infinitive so you talk about a load of stuff that you've done a lot of stuff about you what's what's next well so what's next is we're gonna going to continue our, on our diversification strategies, taking what we've developed in the transport vertical and, and applying that into, into utilities, smart cities, um, and seeing you know, if we can just slightly pivot the methodologies rather than starting from scratch and various other things. And then, and then regionally, you know, carry on go, going around the globe. At the moment, we're going east, so Europe, Middle East... Uh, far eastern Australia um, maybe when we're able to service it we'll, we'll continue around and, and and end up in the in the western part of the world so that's really where, where we're taking it good all right so um, if anybody listening to the pod wants to sort of reach out to you or wants to open up a mode of communication or find out more about your business or more about your sort of story where where can I find you well I can't. I can't be left not giving out my mobile number. I suppose as you kind of do it. In every, you don't have to every podcast, but no, I don't mind. Um, happy to to fill calls um, or WhatsApps as, as you promote. Um, so yeah, you can call, contact me on oh seven nine four zero four two four one nine one. Or if you want to um, reach out to Infinity Groups uh, directly, you can get me on Ben at infinitygroup.co.uk. And you're on LinkedIn as well. Yes, on LinkedIn, or you can visit the website at infinitygroup.co.uk. Um, I'm happy to help or field or uh, you know answer questions or you know whatever. Perfect. Well, look, thanks for joining. It's been a real eye-opener. Um, yeah, look, as you can see here, you can't see it there, but I wrote three, four pages of notes whilst trying to trying to keep a little bit of structure in what we're talking about as well. And there's been, you know, I've known you now for what a couple of years. Yeah. And there's been tons of stuff that I found out, which has been really, really good. So, uh, yeah, really appreciate you giving us some time coming on, because I know you've got some hectic stuff going on later this afternoon, yeah, and a lot of curveballs being thrown. About, yeah, th- th- three o'clock, I've got to submit a, uh, a pre-qualification. Well, there you go, so we, be- we, be- <laughs> we-, we, best, uh, we best stop recording. Thanks very much, Ben. Cheers, Aaron, thank you.